Today's episode features the most winning paddleboard champ ever, big wave surfer and all-around waterman, Jamie Mitchell. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. Jamie Mitchell exemplifies what it is to carry out a wild idea and a wild goal over and over again. As one of the best and fittest athletes in the world, he's a 10-time winner of the Molokai to Oahu paddleboard race. It's one of the most grueling and prestigious races in the world where competitors paddle 32 miles between the Hawaiian Islands. A few years ago, Jamie got himself a spot on the Big Wave World Tour, surfing 50-foot-plus waves. He's already taken the podium quite a few times. If he wins the whole series, he'll be the first person ever to win both disciplines. We talk about his wild idea to pursue paddleboard racing and how he took such big risks to pull off such a great career and make a living doing it. We also talk about how having asthma as a kid led him to being such a good athlete, why being a junior lifeguard or a nippa, as they say in Australian, was so impactful, why big wave surfing is so alluring, and how much he trains today. You're going to be surprised. We also dive quickly into Jamie's recent interest in aquaculture and his partnership with Verlasso, a company that farm raises salmon, and what it's been like to get involved in the cause, as well as the movie he starred in, directed by previous guest, food photographer Eric Wolfinger, that we'll link to in the show notes. I really didn't know much about this topic before this interview, and there's a lot of opinions on it. So we talked to Jamie about what it's been like to get involved. We also have links on where to find more about this subject at the end of this episode in the show notes. We did this interview at a hotel before the outdoor retailer show in Denver, and Jamie was jetting off with a quiver of surfboards to catch a swell in Indonesia the next day. So I'm really glad we fit this in. If you want to get inspired, listen to a guy with a great Aussie accent who's literally one of the top athletes in the world and hear an awesome wipeout story and really interesting conversation. Keep that dial on. Enjoy the show. All right, Jamie, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living at the Outdoor Retail Show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're stoked. So I think we should just start with how did asthma lead to you becoming, you know, the most winning <laughs> paddleboarder of all time? It's a crazy story and it's actually... Um, manifested just in the last I'd say two years even more where I can reflect back to um, how asthma affected me so I'll, I'll, I'll start with this is that a wipeout in Puerto Escondido last year asthma saved my life like literally like it saved my life so I guess we can I'll go back and I'll come back to that and in, in okay so I, I got diagnosed with asthma when I was about five years old and um you know, it was, uh, it's not fun. It's a, you know, you, you don't understand it at that age. You, all you understand is that you can't breathe, you know, and with that comes, I remember going to, you know, as a kid, you get invited to birthday parties and, um, you know, and if it's in say winter time and you're out, you know, when the sun comes down and I'm running, it was nearly like ex exercise induced asthma in a way. Um, you know, I couldn't be out in the dark, um, in the cold wind. I couldn't have pillow fights. I couldn't be in the dust. I couldn't pat animals. All that stuff triggered me off, you know. Um, I remember a time where I grabbed a cat, this stray cat that was living under our house, and I 
was like, oh, this is so cute, rubbed it in my face and then I literally had to go to the hospital because my whole face like swelled up and I couldn't breathe and, and that was one of the first times I think we realised that I'd actually, there was something, I was allergic to cat hair, dog hair and all that stuff. So yeah, it, it, was, it was a crazy ride. I remember being in hospital for weeks at a time like with really bad asthma attacks. I remember, you know, when I was um, having really bad what we called a wheeze, which was like that... Um, you know, you, you take a big breath in and your chest is all yep. congested and having, and you know, we had our own nebulizer, you know, so my mum would come in, you know, put the drugs, you know, the Ventolin in the, with mixed with the water, put the mask on, then the vent thing would start going like a machine through the middle of the night so I could breathe, you know, and so it was sort of, it was crazy, you know, like at that stage, I'm like, I'm just going to be this poor kid, like in a bubble for the rest of my life, you know, and um. And a doctor, a family doctor of ours said, Jamie, you should probably start to swim. You know, swimming is good for your lungs and good for your breathing and the best advice we ever got. And um, wow. so I learned how to swim at a very young age, you know, probably around four or five. Went into the junior lifeguards, which we call nippers in Australia at about five years old. Nippers. Love yeah, it. nippers. And, um, and the rest is history, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, it just, it, it just evolved. You know, I became, I still had asthma, like really like, you know, I competed at a high level in swimming. I mean, I did everything, you know, I represented um, our, my state in. How old uh, were you when you started competing at a oh, state level? Yeah, I was young. I remember when I got really competitive in the surf life saving stuff, which was like swimming and paddling and running and doing the beach flags and stuff. I was like eight, nine years old. And then I was doing swimming clubs of a Friday night and little athletics, which was running. And, and I think that it just inspired me to be super athletic and just compete and, and do all that stuff. And, you know, my whole young adult life from like eight till early twenties, I just remember like everything I could do sporting wise, I could do, if I can get a day off school to play football, I'd play football. If it was cricket, I'd play cricket. If it was softball, I could play softball. I just wanted to do everything. And, um, but it was the swimming in the ocean that really got me out of that, um, out of that funk. But I still had to carry my little Ventolin inhaler with me everywhere I went. I still had to take a couple of puffs before I worked out and after I worked out. And it was still, a, I couldn't go anywhere. It's like being a drug addict, you know. I couldn't go anywhere without my little blue inhaler, which was really frustrating. So junior lifeguards program, like in the United States, I feel like it should be every kid should do it because it's so positive for so many kids. Yeah. In Australia, is it free? Like, how does that work? Yeah, it's you join the club and it's basically free after that. So, um, you know, there's a certain places in America, you know, like obviously California up and down the um, West Coast uh, is really popular. I, I, you know, I have... Um, family friends that do a Newport, they do the Newport Junior Guards, and I know up in Santa Cruz and LA County, and um, it's huge. You yeah, I'm see, in San Diego, and it's, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's massive, you know. So that's the scope of what we do, except like through summer, our kids are compete, like go, they do every Sunday, and then every couple of weekends, I'll put a you know a cap on and compete for their club, you know. And the, we have like 30 clubs on the Gold Coast. That's just that. So it'd be like if San Diego competed against LA. 100%. But there it's Bondi Beach against Manly LA. Beach against. Yeah, 100%. Rumbra. And they do that since you're a young kid, you know, and you just. Fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's competitive. You know, it gets soccer parent style. For, uh, you know, it definitely gets heated and stuff. But it's so funny that the the guard or nippers in Australia. Yeah, because they want heated. the kids to win, you know, like it's just. Wow. You know, then maybe awesome. they're living their life through their kids, you know, but. 
I think every sport has that no matter what it is. So eight, nine, you're winning these competitions. You do it all through high school. When do you start? Do you compete in swimming or do you just Everything. go straight to paddleboarding? Everything. I'm, okay. I'm doing the surf life saving through the summer. So I'm literally, you know, I'm doing paddleboarding and swimming. I'm doing swimming for my school, you know, like trying to, com- you know, uh, get through all the swimming regions to compete for the state titles. So did you get state titles in swimming when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, I, I won a couple of state titles. I placed in state titles when I was like 9, 10, 11, 12. And then I was playing soccer and football in the wintertime. Wow. And then, um, you know, while doing the surf life saving. And then when I got to about 16, my dad made me – well, he didn't make me. He's like, you know, son, like I just had a shoulder injury from playing football. It wasn't a bad shoulder injury, but – I wasn't the biggest kid growing up when I was 16. Like I didn't mature and like early, like a lot of kids. So I was a small kid and I had no fear. So I was always, you know, my favorite thing was tackling as a kid, like trying to make the most tackles, which is not very good for your shoulders. And, um, and we don't wear pads in Australia. So like it can you know be pretty, pretty brutal, but, um, he sort of said, you know what, you, you probably need to make a decision now on where your path wants to go. Like, do you want to, do you want to play football and try and make that a passion and not so much a career, but that's where the path you want to take or do you want to pursue swimming in the ocean, you know? And, um, you know, I had to think about it. I had the, had the, you know, the off season from, um, football to swimming and surf life saving to, um, to work that out. And I decided that I wanted to be in the ocean. So when did you compete in your first paddleboarding competition? Like, well, as a pro, oh uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's no. That's a funny thing. Like it's, you know, I would say, I mean, I raced paddleboarding, like like paddleboards in the the most gnarly competitions in Australia, like from when I was like thirteen to early twenties. Like the whole of Australia would turn up to an Australian titles, and we'd race around three cans. The race was about five minutes long. Cans of buoy. Yeah, buoy. Sorry, a buoy. It's okay, we're gonna yeah, we're yeah, gonna buoy. translate. All and good. then and then um, you know, we would do heat, second round, third round, quarterfinal, semifinal, and you'd finish off with like fifteen guys from like six hundred people, you know. And so that was the ultimate paddleboarding event in the world, you know. Yeah, and then Molokai started in 1997. So the race is Molokai to Oahu, Oahu, and it's how many miles? 32. 32 miles straight across, and yeah. usually the conditions are? They're rough. They're, they're side, side tailwind conditions, you know, with normal trade winds. And takes about how long? On about, a- for the winter, around about, well, now, depend, it really depends on the year, the tide and the conditions. But anywhere for the winter, I would say around five hours, and then, you know, the, the, the average, you know, Hunters at the back are probably about, you know, anywhere six, seven, eight hours, you know. The the guys that are just working, you know, their ass off and paddling when they can but want to do it, you know. They're, they're the, the workhorses, you know. They're the ones that we're all sitting there cheering across the line, you know. It's really cool. So you won your first Molokai to Oahu at, at what age? Uh, it's 2002, so I was maybe 25. 25, and yeah. you're how old now? 41. Wow, yeah. and you, you've got 10 titles, the most winning – yeah. athlete ever so i want to i want to go back and talk about how you've had the most winning career ever but you have to finish the asthma story oh yeah yeah so so basically um you know like now with big wave surfing we have you know all the safety stuff the vest the inflatable vest and flotation and 
and all and all that stuff. And yeah, so, so wait, let's back up. So Jamie's competed as a paddleboard athlete for years, and yeah. now you're also competing. Yeah, now I'm, a, I'm chasing big waves. My passion is surfing big waves and following them around. I'm on the WSL Big Wave World Tour, and and um, so I was at a swell in Puerto Escondido, Mexico, last year, and about a year, nearly exactly a year to today, around about the same time. And um, this is July. Something. Yeah, July 2017. See the scar right there? Jamie's showing me his scar yeah. for those listening. <laughs> you can see the scar. And um, so basically I was on a – I wasn't wearing any. I was wearing my board shorts. It was a small, smallish type day. It was like six to eight feet. And it was right towards the end of the day. There wasn't too many people still surfing. And I fell in the barrel and I just had – How big was this wave? It was like six to eight foot Hawaiian style. So, so like 15 foot face. Tell me like in stories. Like or how uh, many, how no, many of like you? It's like three times overhead. Three times over your head. Yeah, so like double overhead, maybe three times overhead. So basically three times his six foot two frame. Yeah, like 15 foot face. Um, and then um, it, you while, fell while, in the two. Yeah, while I was in the barrel, the the leash um, stretched out and slingshotted back and the <gasps> tail of the board hit Ow. me in the, the right in the middle of the chest and the sternum. And um, it felt like I'd been hit by a truck. I instantly went into shock. Um, I couldn't breathe. I was like, it's like someone just sucker punched you right in the chest and I just was constricted. I couldn't breathe. I came up. I'm looking at some, a couple of friends were still out, but I couldn't, I couldn't yell. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. And people are sort of, you know, I couldn't do anything. And people are looking at me and I go under a wave. I still can't breathe. I come up and I'm slowly like, um, I would say that, after about two waves, I come up and I'm slowly sucking a little bit of air, like to where I'm not going to die. Because Puerto Escondido recycles you; it doesn't let you out. If you get, if you don't swim in or swim out, you just get stuck in the cycle and you get you you you'll just get pounded. And I couldn't afford to do that. Number one, I didn't know I couldn't. I didn't even look down to my chest. I thought my chest had caved in. Number two, I realized that instantly. I'm like Jamie, if you don't this is the most important moment of your life. If you don't focus right now, you are going to die and you're never going to see your kids, your family again. So I instantly switched from like fear to just survival mode and just realized that I had, and I realized that from all my years of having asthma and having to like learn how to breathe with minimal um, breath, like just like literally getting just a tiny bit of air and making that work so you won't drown. Like without even thinking about that, that's what I, my I, survival mode went straight into that. And each second that went by, my chest slowly started to release. And then I realized that I st had to start getting sucked over with the falls of the wave, even though it was really painful to get pushed away from the impact zone. Then once I got pushed away from the impact zone, I went under the water and let the energy of the water under the water push me in until I could stand up. And then I went to the hospital, lifeguards came and got me, um, but I was already into the shore. No one came help me. It took me 10 minutes to get to the beach and um, went to the hospital, fractured my sternum and um, lucky to be alive. But asthma, having asthma as a kid saved my life. If I hadn't have known how to utilize every little single bit of breath, I would not be speaking to you today. It's crazy. Yeah. I had to film that while we were talking because it's just such a crazy story. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, 
Jamie talks about his recent involvement with aquaculture and also shares how much he trains. This episode was brought to you by REI Co-op, a brand that's big on protecting where we play outside. As stewards of the outdoors, REI gives away 70% of all profits back to the outdoors. Since 1976, REI has invested more than $77 million through partner nonprofits to help create, improve, and sustain access for all to inspiring outdoor places. They're also eco-friendly. They use 100% renewable energy to operate, and they built the first largest and most sustainable net zero energy and LEED platinum distribution center in the country. On top of that, they've partnered with over 66 brands in the outdoor industry to enhance the sustainability of their products. Their motto, a life outdoors is a life well lived, is one I definitely stand by. Learn more, take classes, go on experiences, find a store near you, and get the gear you want to get outside at REI.com. So what do you do to, I mean, your capacity to breathe, like I just, I took a free diving class a couple of years ago and yeah. it changed my life. And then, you know, I'm doing the Wim Hof, which I know is trendy, yeah. but nah. it feels really yeah. good. It's just good and, and help, like, like I feel like we're in a, in a world, like I've, I've trained my whole life. So, you know, when this whole, and I trained with, and Mick Fanning was the guy that changed the whole surfing idea of training. He's ripped his um, hamstring off his bone in a boat trip in Indonesia came back to Australia, realized that he had to rehab and then he wanted to be stronger. And so he started training with the lady that I was training with. Her name was Jan Carlton and she worked on that Paul Czech, the Czech um, oh, yeah, style. Oh yeah, stuff. And so- JP Sears, like there's this yoga guy that we've yeah. had on that also does that. Yeah, so that's where Mick started and, and Mick went out and then went on his tear with his world titles and everyone's like, well, what's going on? And that's where he realized how- helpful being in real shape was and and it just that snowballed the effect of like professional surfers really starting to train um and but i'd been doing that my whole life you know so it's sort of funny for me because there's this transition of like and it's still going now but it's awesome and and you see like nearly every guy that's really serious about their surfing if it's their career they're doing some sort of training you know some people are more focused and gym orientated and there's all this uh, kid pellegro there's gymnastica then there's pellegro, found, yeah. yeah foundation training there's foundation you know, training we have him we're having him on as well yeah there's all these it. cool things yeah. to do you know kahaya hart does this um does foundation training with billy kemper and i know john john does stuff with kid and then kyborg garcia has his xpt his, has his gym there brian mckenzie's huge into the breathing and there's just so many cool people and there's so much information out there and then Wim Hof and the breathing is just there's just so much and and it's all good you just got to work out what works for you what works for you so I'm curious to know like, um well I've, I just had shoulder surgery three months ago and I haven't been I haven't really worked out properly in about five years like really like I've done some really yoga jacked no I've just been able to like I haven't done a chin-up or a push-up or any sort of workout in four years like i've just done yoga and i've you just, just paddle like 50 miles well no, i don't paddle that long anymore I, my shoulders can't handle it but just surfing and yoga that's really been it wow. a little bit of bike riding but um yeah, i'm really looking forward to getting back in some real shape this year like being able to maybe go and do some work like with kai and um kahaya heart and kai stuff board. and yeah kai. just just you know kai borg and get in there and do that because that's available to me and 
But, you know, for me, it's a combination. Like, I've worked so hard in my life, like, training-wise, where I've just killed myself. I realize now it's more like, I'll, number one, I want to have fun with my training. So I want to do it with friends. I want to push each other, and I want to have fun. It doesn't need to be four hours of torture. Get in, get out, quality over quantity. You know, and there's a balance between being flexible and being tight. You know, so there's that yoga slash working out. So it's just finding that balance. And, you know, I went into yoga and started doing three, four, five times a week. And even for me, like, I realized it actually was making me more sore than it was loose, doing more yoga than less yoga. Um, So for me, I found out my balance with yoga is maybe just twice a week. Like, I'll do yoga and I'll need three or four days to let what I've done sink in and work and then do it again. Because what I was realizing was I was doing yoga and maybe – going, you know, working and traveling for a couple of weeks, come back and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to be really stiff and sore. But I was actually better than when I was doing four or five hundred sessions in a row. But that's just my body. And so what I tell people is to listen to your own body, work out what's good for you, listen to everyone, soak in the information, but you have to make the decision on your body. My body is different than yours. Yours is different than his and hers you got the best people in the world. Rich Froning can be telling you to do that, but him, he physically may be able to do that because he's so gifted and talented. Rich Froning is the, the, the fittest man on earth with the cross train, uh, CrossFit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so guys like that, you know, like, you know, like it's just people are different. People can't if – you, if you try and hang with the big dogs all the time, you can run yourself into the ground. And so it's really listen to your own body, listen to what works for you and trying to work out that happy balance. Have you always been like that? Like even in competition where you've just not run your own race, but paddled your own race? Um, I, you know, I've been caught up in doing what other people have done for sure. But that's, that's learning. You know, you, you always, you know, the biggest lessons in life are the mistakes you make. And if you don't learn from them, then they end up being, um, it's an opportunity wasted, I feel, you know. So for me, the best ever race I did in Molokai was the one I didn't win before I won my first one because I learned exactly what not to do. How old were you? I was like 22, you know, and I just thought I was going to kill it and I took the wrong line. I went this and that. I did everything that I would tell someone not to do now. That's what I did. But it set me up for the next decade because I did, then I did everything good, so you know. how have you had like the most, how has no, no one come close to you for There was some close, we had some close races for sure. There was a, a really, a, a bunch of close races, but you know, I, I really, as much as physical as it was, it was really a mental race. It was like the like you know Tour de France or stuff like that, where you could line up ten people that have the same ability in you know like um, athletic ability, but at the end of the day, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose, and that comes from how you deal with the mental. moment, the mental capacity, how you deal with pain, how you can go through that, and what your thoughts are. What? So I try, I tried to train my mind through training and. And I, and I got addicted to that winning and, and I felt like that race was mine. I'm like, someone's going to have to kill me to beat me in that race. You know, that was my mentality. What did you say to yourself? Like, what's your mantra in your head? Um, it was like, you're going uh, to have to drag me off the bottom of the ocean to beat me. So you pain, know? how did you deal with pain? Um, you know, that was through training. You know, you train yourself to deal with the pain and, and just, it's, it's, real, it's real easy to, um, you know, what I... And I, I, was, I was prone to doing it in my surf life saving days where you could – it's easy to make an excuse up in your head to give up 
and make excuses and tell people all these excuses and, and believe it. But once you start doing that, it's easier to keep doing that. It becomes this lie that you believe. So, and I did that a few times in my earlier career where I was like, I, I knew I'd given up in a race because it got too tough. And now I made an excuse for myself. And then when I got to the Molokai, I was like, there is no excuses. This is like, this is manly shit right now. You know, like you can, no one's going to believe you. And, and I said to myself, as long as I can look at myself in the mirror and be honest and go, you did everything you could to win that race. doesn't matter if you won or not. I was okay with losing. I was, as much as people don't think I was, I was okay with losing. But as long as I gave it everything and if someone beat me, then, hey, man, right on. You're like, you were better than me on the day and good for you, you know, but, but I wasn't going to let that happen. It's crazy. It's ama- it's amazing. So now you're you're on the big wave world tour, yeah. and if you win that, you'll be pretty much the only athlete to get two world titles in these disciplines. Yeah, it's it's a it, you know there's definitely a goal there to try and win the world title. I, I don't want to put that pressure on me because I focus. I have a family. I have two beautiful daughters and wife now, and and I to to go into that. Um, it's funny because Cassie, my wife, she's like, "Why don't you do you want to paddle again?" I'm like, you, "No." you don't want me to paddle again because I, I couldn't do it um, half-assed. I'd have to go full bore and I know how much and how selfish I'd have to be and I just couldn't do it. I had my time. I had my time. I've done that. I'm the big wave tour. So you're retired pretty much from paddling. I'm, paddling, I'm retired. I, I'd like to, like to maybe do a few other things like foil. maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I foil as well, but I mean – you never say never. I might come back and do some sort of racing at some stage because I'd love, love to show my daughters like, and Cassie because they came into my life after uh, post-paddling and they're like sort of big wave surfing. So I'd like to be able to maybe take them on a boat sometime and, or even paddle with them maybe. Maybe when they're old enough I can do a three-man team with my daughters or something. You know, like, so cool. But, um, but yeah, paddling right now is on the back burner. Pure focus, chasing waves across the world, trying to do the big wave tour. You know, obviously, I want to win. I want to focus. I want to win events. But it's not going to kill me if I don't win a world title, you know, because I, I know at this stage of my life, like if, if the big wave tour come along when I was 25, like my paddling days, then goddamn, like I would have loved to have seen me in big waves, like focusing that, but I'm not. And that's reality. So, you know, I still get the chance to do that. Um, so let's just let the audience know who doesn't know about the big wave tour. I mean, it really didn't come on big for the last couple of years yeah. where people could actually make a living, the men, you know, chasing big waves around the world and riding them at these few contests. Yeah. We only have about three or four. Con- well, this year we have three contests. We have Mavericks, Nazare and um, Piahi in Jaws and Maui. So, you know, that, that determines the world champ. And then um, it's, uh, you know, WSL has got behind it. You know, I feel like, you know, I think we all feel like, you know, we have this awesome product that we can showcase to the world. And it's just, I don't, I don't feel like WSL's quite found out how to do that yet. But, but you know. It's said, hard to understand surfing. Yeah. For a mainstream audience. But I feel like if, if um, this is the sort of scenario most of us guys run through. If you walk into a bar or you're at the airport and you walk into a bar and you have... John, John, Florence, Kelly Slater surfing at Trestles and you have us guys surfing at Jaws. More understandable Like if you look at it, people have no idea what they're looking at. I guarantee you 99% of people are looking at what we're doing compared to what they're doing. 
So there's there's a there's a cool element that we have. The problem is we don't have this certain date where it's going to happen. Our dates are sporadic. It could be uh, because big waves only happen on certain swells. Yeah. So it so we have these intricacies that don't really work in our favor. But when they do, when all the stars align, it's magic. Like last year, Jaws event was like as good as it gets, you know. And one of the you know, our big wave events, I think Jaws and the Eddy a few years ago were the highest watched surfing events in the history of the sport. It's exciting to see some, I mean, it's like watching Evil Knievel. There's yeah. high risk. Well, Travis Pastrana just did that. Yeah. Last, so I watched that's, that. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. You know, how, how do you keep your sponsors? Because you, you're in two sports that weren't traditionally paid well, like prone paddleboarding. Yeah. But you got paid and you've managed to make a career out of it. Yeah. How did you keep your sponsors like well, happy? I, I, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, when I really look back at it, I mean, I quit my lifeguarding job um, back in 2005 when Quicksilver. So you were still lifeguarding while you were winning and oh, supporting yeah, yourself. Well, yeah, for sure. I was just, I mean, paddleboarding was just a, a hobby. I, I would just go, I would work lifeguarding, save money, go to Hawaii and California for like two, three months, rack my credit card up, come home and, and pay it off and just do that for years. I mean, it was just it was just a fun thing to do. And then, you know, and, and then I, I just saw an opportunity to potentially, you know, at that stage I started to spend the winters in Hawaii as well um, from 2004 onwards. So I'd spend three months in the winter, three months in the summer. And, and I'm like, God, I, I feel like there's an opportunity here. Like Quicksilver had at that time the Silver Edition brand, which is the Waterman brand now. And I'm like, man, like I feel like I'm a good fit for that, you know, like yeah. – and. And so I, I knew people, Quicksilver was sponsoring the paddleboard race. And I remember the first sponsor I got was Barrett Tester gave me a pair of board shorts, Quicksilver edition board shorts, and said, if you wear these board shorts in the race, we'll give you $500. Because he thought that I was going to win. And so they could get photos and that of me wearing the Quicksilver board shorts. And then the year after, you know, they, they offered me some money, which was, uh, was $500 a week, right? So it was a $25,000 a year contract. I was making two times that lifeguarding easily yeah and but i I, t I was like okay well that's a risk i'm like well do i keep the money and just whatever do a bits and pieces and keep the lifeguard job and try and like make a bunch of money or i'm like no like this is my opportunity to dive into this and give it a go and so i i went to my lifeguard boss and said hey i got this opportunity and i just want you to know that i'm really grateful for the job i have but and i might be back real soon so I just, I, don't, I didn't want to burn my bridges, you know. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I went, $25,000, trying to travel the world, surf, live on couches, do all this and that and paddle. And, and it was crazy. I was just, it was like living on breadcrumbs, you know. And um, I did that for years. And um, then I got dropped by Quicksilver, went, the times went hard, got put, picked back up and then contract got cut in half, then got back, you know, then got back. And it's been a wild ride, you know, and, but um. But I love Quicksilver and I love the brand and I've stayed loyal to those guys and they've been loyal to me. And, um, you know, and I really, you know, at, at that time, I think I was the first ever professional paddleboarder that was to get paid to paddle, yeah. you know. And I just was lucky enough that stand-up came along. So I was stand-up surfing, I was stand-up racing, I was winning races stand-up paddleboarding. And then at that through that stage, I was chasing big wave swells and then, and then the big wave tour came along and so it's just like timing has been good as well but but i've taken a lot of big risks of like like financial like having no financial backing really like to, with what i've had to do but um I, I believed in myself my parents believed in me and um 
yeah, it's it's worked out. It sounds like right now is a great time to be Jamie Mitchell. It's it's cool, man. Like I mean, look, I don't own a I don't own, I don't own you know this beautiful house. I don't have all these things, but I live this life that I'm able to feed my family. We have this cool little place in Hawaii. My daughters. Is that where you live in Hawaii? Yeah, we live in Hawaii full time now on the North Shore. And great. Um, you know, we just my daughters were born on you know had natural. My wife had natural births on the land that we live on. And, um, you know, and it's just, it's, I, it's just a cool time, you know, to be able to be, you know, I travel a lot, but when I'm at home, I'm fully engaged with my kids and I'm like every day we're at the beach, surfing, swimming, hanging out, like hiking in the, you know, our property has pigs and chickens. It's just, it feels really good to give that opportunity to my girls to like be in nature and for me to be around to like be with them all the time. You seem like a guy who really cares about your environment and yeah. you're okay with less as long as you have nature in the world. Yeah, I mean... Or in the ocean. And I, I just feel like now we just, we we need more, we need to understand more about what we're doing. You know, I just, you know, I think everyone probably just saw that picture of that trash um, Yeah, wave. I just put it on Instagram yeah, as well. Yeah, I think, you know, Dominican when you see Republic, that, it's really... It's really just disheartening, I guess, you know, that, um, that we're doing that, you know, and then obviously, um, so I saw, I've wanted to sink my teeth into something the last few years. I just didn't know what it was. And look, I've got a lot of friends like Greg Long and, um, Zane, um, Zane Schweitzer, a bunch of guys that are doing the whole single plastic thing and, um, all those plastics. And I feel like that's covered, you know, a lot. And yeah. It's, it's sort of, it's done. Not that it can't be more done, but you know, and I got an opportunity with this sustainable aquaculture to to jump on board with that and understand a little bit about that, and and um and that was really interesting to me because I love seafood, I love eating fish, and you know, I'm in the water all the time, and um and it's a really controversial like the, you topic. Know, topic, yeah, yeah, you know, aquaculture. And, so basically, I, fish farming. Yeah, you know, like um and it's so it's you know and and I'm honestly I'm still I'm really still learning myself and I'm still understanding a lot myself what's going on, but you know it gives me good um a good feeling that knowing that like you know companies like Quicksilver and Surfline are sort of backing me to the point where you know we're doing these um, things like tonight, you know, where we're showing the movie with Velasco, we're doing Talk Story with Pete and. And we're just getting the, um, just, I guess, I guess my role is to get the, the subject out there and to get people talking about it, good or bad. That's, that's my role and that's the way I feel about it is that, yes, there's a lot of negative um, comments on like social media and stuff and I've had some bad- about fish farming and aquaculture. About just, yeah, and about my involvement with Velasco and stuff like so that. So Velasco, just really quickly explain what Velasco is. Velasco is part of Aqua Chile and Aqua Chile is- um, a big salmon farming company in Chile that's that's had a really bad reputation for um, years and years and years, you know. And so Velasco is a, a sub company of Aqua Chile, but they they've started to try and do it the right way. They've they, tried to do fish farming the right. They're way, doing. They're trying meaning. to do fish farming the right the right way. Like a lot of people, there's a lot of really good companies out there. There's Pacifico in Mexico. There's people doing um, Campachi off the Big Island. There's people doing shrimp on Kauai. There's there's all these in Europe. They're doing all these different fishes. So let's just back up because some people don't understand. So sustainable fish farming would mean like they're not overcrowding. Yeah. So farms. so basically, you know, like um, you know, people think of fish farming as fish swimming in their own crap, pouring chemicals into the pens. You know, then those fish escaping. Then um, um, you know, and then the, then the the ocean where it is getting polluted. 
um, the environment and the you know the farrowing of the water maybe not coming back to normal. So what the lasso has done, for, and I've seen it with my own eyes, is that you know the netting is not copper, so the copper is not staining the ocean. The fish feed is you know part algae. It's organic. They they they're controlling how much feed goes into the water. The density of the fish, you know, fish in, fish out. The how much fi- each fish per uh, cubic square feet they have. They're not getting sick. That there's no chemicals going in the water. There's no antibiotics. They're trying to do it the right way. And people people are still like they see it as a like they see just this fish. And I get it. I see get, fish farming is bad. They see it as bad. And, and look, and I, this is the the easiest way that I can explain it. You eat eggs, right? You eat eggs. Well, okay, so, so, when I'm not being vegan, okay, yeah. yeah. Of so, like, so let's eggs. just say the general public, <laughs> right? Go. So there's chicken farming, right? Yeah. Have you seen those chicken farms? Oh, they're terrible. Okay, so you got good chicken farms. Yeah. You got bad chicken and I, farms. And I eat the happy eggs when I eat the happy okay, eggs. Okay, but you've eaten bad eggs. I guarantee you, you have, right? And so is everyone, right? But do you think that they're thinking, oh, um, that's a bad farm? That's what about meat? You know how much meat it costs to get a, st- how much water it takes to get a steak on your table? It's, it's like a thousand gallons, right, of water, right? And then what about the slaughtering of meat, yeah. the, the good practicing and the bad practicing, right? There's good farming, there's bad farming. But when the pe- the people that are talking about fish farming, I bet you if they go to a restaurant and they just eat a general steak, where's that coming from? Where's that farming? So that's how I'm trying to think of the fish farming. There's, yes, it's very bad and there's lots of people doing it the horrible way. And did Aqua Chile do it a bad way? Oh, for sure they did. There's no doubt about it. But... If we just sit there and wave the white flag and just go, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, let's protest it. What are, how are we going to improve what's going on? We're overfishing the oceans. In 20 years, there may be no fish. My daughters might know, mightn't know what a salmon tastes like. They mightn't know what you know, yellowfin tuna tastes like. So I feel that we need to start the topic of, hey, this is what's happening. How do we make it better? And we've got to start somewhere. And, and, that's, and that's where I feel like my job is to come in, raise the profile, get people talking, get you know, all these people. When people start emailing me and talking to me and saying negative stuff, I take that as a positive because we're starting the conversation. I think that's exactly right. You're, regardless of what you feel about what people think about sustainable fishing or yeah. – we had someone who ran a sustainable fishing company earlier on and there's an app called Seafood Watch where I think you can track where your food comes from. But there's a movie you did with Verlasso and my friend Eric Wolfinger, the food photographer who was on the podcast – it talks about this in the ocean's health and the number that talks about how much our ocean is depleted in that movie is crazy high. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, where it's, is that stat it, from? I think it's, um, they, they, they do the stat. It comes from a really reliable source and look, even if it's not say it's 70%, is that yeah, okay? No. Is 70% okay? 50% is 50% is okay. okay? That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. so like I get it. There needs to be the people that are protesting and I get it, but, you know what? I've never done things the easy way. I've always put myself out there and this is no different, you know. And and look, if in a year's time I realize that I've been had and this is a scam, so be it. And you know what? I'll tell the world. I'll tell the world about that. And but my heart is in a pure place. I believe I'm doing the right thing and and at the end of the day when I go to sleep, I sleep really well about this. 
Even though people think I'm selling out, some people are saying I'm doing it for the money. You are know? you get like I don't understand? So are you sponsored by Velasco? Like how? Uh, is no, I'm. I'm an. I'm an. I would say like a, I'm an. I'm an ambassador for them. You know, they they have hired. You know, paid me to to do this to be on this journey to um, talk about sustainable. To go with fishing. Eric and Jennifer yeah. and and raise sustainable aquaculture and because Velasco are trying to do it the right way and they want to raise the standards so that the rest of the industry raise their standards and that's what I want to see. If I see Velasco in five years' time or two years' time and their company, say, um, is Velasco's 5% and Aqua Chile's 95 and it's still like that in five years' time, then it's, I, you know, I'm not going to be happy. But I don't expect to see that. I, I, I expect to see that... Aqua Chile and what Velasco, like the whole practice of what Velasco is doing is going to filter up through and that's going to, and people want that. We, we're in a world now where we want to know where our eggs came from. We want to know where our meat comes from. But with fish, I feel like we're still yeah. like, oh, it's just from the ocean. That's awesome. Let's totally. eat it. But it could be like a full chemical farm. Like you never know what you're eating, right? So that's where I think that we're just sort of starting to understand about like what we're eating with with fish and seafood and seafood such a huge um, industry that I think that it's, it's all about the big thing that I say, it's about education. It's educating. We need to educate and get it out there. And that's what I'm trying to do. And um, you know, it's been a, it's been a wild ride and it's been an interesting ride. It's been an educational ride for me. And I'm just at the beginning. I, I'm by far not educated enough on it still. I'm still learning, but that's the whole process for me is to, is to understand it and things like tonight with Quicksilver Waterman and you know, having Velasco come and, and joining forces and trying to like get people to come and understand it, that we, that we as people that love the water enjoy that, but we also want to try and sustain that. And, you know, like we need protein, the earth needs protein and sustainable fishing is the best way to do it because otherwise if we don't do that, we're going to have no protein. We're going to have no fish. I just appreciate the fact that you've, taken the road less traveled and yeah. you said you don't do things the easy way no where does that come from oh i think i've always been challenged my whole life you know nothing's ever come easy for me you know i've always had to battle through everything you know nothing's been given to me i've always worked my ass off for it you know and hence doing the molokai you know like just happened to prepare and work my butt off for that and you can't that that that's not given to you. That's earned, you know, and that no one can take that away from me no matter what. And um, I feel like the same with, um, you know, the big wave paddling, surfing as well. You know, you got to earn, earn your stripes. And, and um, I'm just taking all those things I've learned through that into, into the battle of sustainable aquaculture, you know. And, um, and like I said, you know, like there's going to be believers, there's going to be non-believers, but at the end of the day, the companies are too big to it's a billion dollar it's millions and millions multi-million dollar companies they're not going anywhere a billion dollars yeah. yeah you know they're not going anywhere right and as sad as that is let's just go look then you're not going to get rid of them so if we can't get rid of them and we don't want to get rid of them because we need fish how do we work together to make it better let's not just sit there and protest and wave the white flag like i keep saying let's i want to get in there and go can we make a difference i feel like I've already made a difference because we're doing these cool things and people are understanding more. And I mean, it's definitely like I, I emailed Eric last night and I just asked him, I was like, hey, should I be, I'm confused. Like, yeah. I don't know what's good or what's bad. You just got to turn up and watch it and ask yeah. questions, you know, and that's the beauty. It's like, it's going to a conference or going to a talk. Like, 
If you got a question, you ask a question, you know. You know, I pretend I'm a vegan, but then I go eat fish tacos. So there you go. Hey, you are to, who you are, man. It's I need like to think does, about it. I, I like fish. If I do eat meat, it's fish. And yeah. we do have to think about where, and you know, the whole ocean reacts to the fish in it. So it'll affect, and the ocean is tied to our, obviously it's tied to our earth and affects it's our tied environment. To our so DNA, it's tied to our DNA. It's tied to my DNA. It's like giving me everything. Speaking you know? of your DNA, did you ever test positive for like any genetic mutations? Because you are so <laughs> just cause, amazing. Just cause a lot. Just of course, light. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, um, genetic. I've, I've definitely been. I was tested. I did a VO two max test, and they tested my lung capacity. That's another thing with with um, struggling how to breathe at a young age. My diaphragm and lungs are about twenty five percent bigger than the, the how general. How long can you hold your breath? Oh, four or five minutes when I'm in training. Amazing. Yeah. Um. What you know? You're a dad now. How old are your daughters? Um, Nevaeh is three, August 4th, and Malia will be one in on September 9th. Those are pretty names. Congratulations. You know, what advice do you want to give to your daughters for when they grow up? Just follow, follow your dreams. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything. And um, if you follow your heart, follow your gut feeling and do what you love, then you, you can't go wrong. That's such good advice. I almost want to end there, but I can't because I want to ask you a couple more questions. If you could throw any party, we ask all of our guests this. What party are you throwing? Who's there? Party. A party. Like, wow. what kind of food are we God. eating? Who's coming? What's the music? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I don't What's think you want, the activity? I don't even want to hear that answer. <laughs> now I really um, want no, to hear you know it. What? I'd like to hear I'd, Conor McGregor, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong. Um. Just my best friends, um, Donald Trump, maybe. Just to see what just he, weird. to talk just, to him? Yeah, you know, like I feel like those people have all like, like I love Roger Federer, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. I mean, they sound like all athletes, but like. But Donald Trump? Yeah, he like, he, well, just, to talk just, to just him? because like, I just like to see how, like, is he really like that crazy? Like just, I mean, I don't know, you know, like just yeah. interacts, like not, not because I like the guy or anything, but just because I'd like to yeah. see him interact. Like, you know what I mean? You know, I just, just like someone like would have been good to have Steve Jobs there, Elon Musk, just some random people, Richard Branson. This is a really interesting party. So we're having dinner. Yeah. And we're just talking to these people. Yeah. And then I just do um, poo-poos. So, you know, like not, 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 not a sit down <laughs> meal, just some poo-poos. So like, poo-poos are appetizers. Yeah. So, listening so, so appetizers, you know, like some, like, you know, some Velasco salmon, some, you know, some pokey, just like little little snippets, and then um, I like samples. Yeah, I like sample samples. Size. Just small samples. You can sample everything, Love and then it. um, start off with like maybe the Chili Peppers, ACDC playing some music. End up with a DJ. It sounds like an awesome. <laughs> it'd be party. a good party. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a good party. It sounds hilarious. <laughs> I think right now you're here in Denver for a hot day, and yeah. then you go to Indonesia tomorrow yeah. because there's a swell. Yeah. What gear do you love to travel with? Oh, um, so I love my, my Bose earphones, um, noise reducting earphones. Um, I like, uh, I travel with my laptop for sure. Just chase, like I got to be connected. Um, I have my, um, I travel with these, um, liquid IV, um, satchels. They're like, a um, uh, hydration, hydration, the best. They're amazing. Uh, Andy Scott turned me on. Ozzy turned me on to those. They are the best things I've ever used for like dehydration. uh, My doTERRA oils. DoTERRA oils. I don't leave anywhere without those things. They, I'm like a witch doctor with those things. Not only do I help myself, but I can help anyone that I'm with. You know, a little first aid kit. Ah, you know, 
when you're a travel surfer, you obviously I've got my surfboards, you know. But that's um, that you have your surfboards in Denver. I was like, oh, Jamie yeah, must no, be people here. People are tripping out. I'm like trying to drag them through the airport on the train, then on the Uber to get to here, and it's like sweltering hot. So, but yeah. So if you could fly an eco-friendly plane, yeah, and it went everywhere around the world. What's the message you'd want on it? What would be the message on the plane? It would be um, just like save our save our Earth. You know, just be be aware. Be aware of what we're doing, you know, like um, I think more than ever we need to to be aware of um, just, I mean, look, I'm still like, you know, like I go through the airport and I grab a plastic thing I with a plastic straw and I throw it in the trash. I'm like, damn, like I need to have my, like my, my Yeti or my, with the straw. the straw, you know, you know, it's, and it's easy, but it's sort of hard to do it. But you, it's one of those things you get used to. And I just think we need to be a little bit more aware of what we're doing and how we can really you know, like going to the, um, you know, to Whole Foods or Foodland or wherever it is you go shop and take your own bags. Don't grab plastic bags. I think just the the small little things like that are the things that are going to help us in the long run. You know, and just just being aware of what we're doing to, you know, to our to our Earth and Mother Nature, and and just be aware and try and do the best that you can. It doesn't need you don't need to be as good as your neighbor. You don't have to like um, judge yourself of what they're doing. Just try and do the best and do something that you can do that you feel good about yourself. Jamie, this has been awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. No Where can people find more? Instagram, probably the best. Just Jamie underscore Mitchell. Um, same on Twitter. I have a Facebook page, just Jamie Mitchell. But I'm usually Instagram is my main, my main thing. We'll link to all of these. I can't wait for the movie on your life and the book to come out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Jamie for sharing your awesome story and being so honest about your stance on this topic and desire to keep learning. Thank you to Quicksilver, especially Quicksilver's Pat Fraley, for helping organize this interview before the Outdoor Retailer Show in Denver. Thank you to REI for sponsoring this show. For more on aquaculture, to watch the movie Jamie did with past guests Eric Wolfinger and Verlasso, click on the show notes of this episode. Just go to wildideasworthliving.com, hit play, and the show notes will appear. We also have some links from marine biologists at UCSB about this topic so you can make a more informed decision about how to choose the food you consume. Coming up, we have the legendary rock climber Alex Honnold, one of the raddest forces of nature I've met, Outdoor Afro's room map, big wave legend, commentator Peter Mel, a NASA astronaut, and so many more great guests. Thank you for listening to this show. Don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes two minutes of your time. It keeps this show free and growing. Thank you so much. Share it with a friend. And don't forget, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest idea. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.